the Ski Sports Card Show. Yes, yes, welcome in. We are back with another edition of our Tops Project 2020 Artist Interview Series on the Ski Sports Card Show. I'm joined by um, one of my favorite artists in the series. I pulled up some of his cards in front of me. I'm talking about F. Dot. Welcome in, sir. What's going on, Ski? How you doing? I'm great, man. So glad to have you you up here. You've you've been, you know, uh, one of the most, not only one of the dopest artists uh, in the streets, but it's so dope to see you on the cards and be on like the murals and all the other incredible work that you've done. Um, to join in on this project centered around baseball cards and the hobby, and um, let's talk about your your history on kind of baseball as well, because you played as a kid, right? Yep, yep. I was always a short kid, so I didn't get played that much. I was like smaller than everybody else, but you know, I was on the bench a lot. But then one day I got a triple and then another triple. So two triples in the same game. So I got my, my, and then I retired and I was like, peace, I'm out. So um, no, yeah, I used to play baseball as a kid. That's that's a real story. But uh, after a while, I discovered skateboarding. That became my main passion. So for a while, I, I lost my love for baseball. And this project has really brought it back for me. It's true. That's kind of what cards has done. And that's, that's one thing that, that, I, that I, re- why I reason, a reason I really like this hobby is that it makes you feel that much closer to sports. And as you're collecting, you get more into it. You get more into the stories behind it. And when you get people's cards, especially if you get a rare or a limited card, you really feel like a connection and you start rooting for them. It's really an interesting way to kind of dive in and uh, and get excited about any sport, which is so cool uh, about this. Now, um, growing up, what were, what were your teams? I see, I see the, Mets, the Mets in the background. Well, actually, I am a Yankees fan, ah, for sure. You do, that's just um, for the stadium series, huh? Yeah, yeah. So the, the Mets, um, I had to do the Mets and the Yankees, which I, I'm not like a hater. Just because I'm a Yankee fan doesn't mean I hate the Red Sox. Um, I, I was at one of the Subway Series games. I was rooting for both teams. You know, I just wanted, I just wanted to see a New York win. Um, yeah, I'm a New York fan first and foremost. And if I had to choose a team, it's definitely the Yankees. Um, no, it's not Mets would be, they've won a couple things. Mets would be second, second favorite team. And then after that, I think Baltimore Orioles. I got a lot of friends in Baltimore. I also just love the branding. I love the orange, the, the old classic logos. I think I nerd out just as much about the cards and the game as much as I do like the old school logos from these teams. That's what's so cool. And I'm holding up the Cal Ripken card, the Orioles card that you did, which is, is one of, it just is such an ill design in the story. I love how you put the Iron Man with the like little like eight ball thing in the middle of it. Um, it's, uh, the, these cards and these logos of baseball players, like even if you're not into them, the, I think project 2020 has done something interesting in bringing in so many new people to the hobby and so many new people that might not even be into baseball, um, as, as a sport, but these pieces, these are pieces of art. And what's so cool about MLB and with baseball cards specifically is the legacy. The baseball cards are the longest of any of card of any running sport. There's something that, um, you know, these iconic designs, not only of the cards themselves, but as you said, like the logos, right? Like, Everybody knows that NY logo, even if they don't, they've never watched a game of baseball, they've seen that hat. The Orioles logo is something that stands out for that. Um, it's got to be fun kind of touching it and remixing this in, in, in essence in your own idea with projects like, uh, like Project 2020. It's really fun, man. It's cool. Like, I was just thinking about this the other day, how the baseball hat, before everybody wore caps, right? Yeah. It was a baseball cap. And it had logo, it had a logo on it that meant something to these people. And now everybody wears baseball hats. They don't call them baseball hats anymore. They just call them hats. 
Yeah. <laughs> but I think those logos and that visual language of what first existed on those uniforms is still like so uh, meaningful, even if you don't follow the sport. It's still like so classic and getting to redraw like the Yankees script logo. Oh man, just all my childhood dreams really coming true with that project with the, that one card, really the Yankee stadium. Um, as we, as, as we've watched this project, is there any cards that really stand out that, that other artists have flipped anything that you've become like, damn, they, they did that or any overall style of the other artists that, that that's really kind of inspired you or just that you thought was super, super sick. Well, the first interview that I watched uh, on your channel was with Mr. Cartoon. And I feel like, after watching that and looking at his set again, I got a lot of respect for everything he's doing with his, with his cards. Um, that wouldn't be, if you asked me a week ago or two, a few weeks ago, I, I probably would have said JK five. Yeah. Um, his just, his imagination is incredible. Like he just finds like a sci-fi twist or the black and white with little pops of color and all these little intricate letter forms. I love um, his trout with the eyes, right? Yeah, yeah. I have a lot of respect for all the artists, but if I had to name a few more, uh, like Matt Taylor, Sophia Chang, Blake Jameson, I know he was on your show recently. Yeah. Um, Gregory Stiff, he was he was like, it was cool to watch you guys kicking it uh, live. Yeah, yeah, I wish we could do this in person, man. Normally we'd be this in, either in New York or LA, but obviously COVID has us stuck on, on Zoom over here, but um, we'll, we'll get together after this and have some, have some fun. Yeah, I'll take what I can get. This is cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great, man. Um, great question, actually, that just came in. Are you a Marlins fan because of Jeter's ownership in the team now? Uh, I have been to Marlins games. I had some family in Florida. In the new or the, old, or the older stadium? Uh, the older stadium, but I think. But it wasn't uh, – but I wouldn't say I'm a Marlins fan. <laughs> I don't think yeah. anybody is right now. That's tough. He's trying to flip them around, but <laughs> – <laughs> We will see. Now, I want to talk about a little about your history and stuff because, um, well, obviously you came up out here. Was it really you? You really made kind of a, a lot of your practice when you were I heard living down in Argentina, right? Yeah, so I had the opportunity to live in South America for about two years, and I was working with WeWork, you know, the company that makes the shared workspaces, and I was on the team that creates all the interior artwork for WeWork. So, so, so let's take it back. So there's actually a team that's making all the artwork that's inside all of the WeWork spaces. They're not going and just buying it from bulk. They're making something specific for that. Yeah, the, the company's definitely been changing a lot this year with COVID. So I don't <laughs> yeah, know what's sure. going on right now. But I think uh, when I was at WeWork, there was a team. It got up to like 70 or so people of artists full time around the world. It was a dope thing to be a part of because I can't name one other company that has designers and artists like actually hand painting the work um, and not outsourcing that uh, at that scale, like around the world. So I think I rode that wave while it was hot and I got a lot of really great experience and it was just an infinite supply of walls and the creative director there was pretty chill and he liked my style. So I got a lot of really great work done there and and around Latin America, which I never expected to be able to do. Um, But even before that, I've I've been interested in street art and murals. That, That was, I got back like a year and a half ago from Argentina yeah. Um, so, you know, even before I went to Argentina, I've been doing this for a decade and I've just, I just love, um, the process of taking my idea from like a quick sketch to a giant wall or a card, like seeing that in that physical manifestation of my idea is so important to me. It's not the same when I just keep it on the screen in digital. Um, I do a lot of digital illustration work, like my cards, I finish most of them on the iPad, Really, but, but seeing the the physical product in the end is really the feeling that I like to have. So 
That makes a lot of sense. And what's yeah. interesting is that you're generally known for working on bigger canvases. You're talking about wall and, and walls and murals and paintings. Um, is this, this is probably one of the smaller pieces of art you've had to design, right? Like when you're, you're looking at those overall things for that. Um, is it, is it any challenger, like trying to get, you know, some of those details, especially like, does this compare any differently when you're working on a big mural and a wall because you have less room and you kind of have to compress that messaging? Has that been a challenge at all for you, for you kind of just shifting these formats? I think I have done some projects where I'm designing on a smaller format. So I've learned through those projects of what's going to translate through like the printer. Obviously, there's a certain level of detail that you just can't get. It starts to get fuzzy when you get close. And, and if you look at the Jeter card, like there's a bunch of detail that kind of got lost uh, behind the DJ. You can't even really see it. It's, it's there. It's like this dark blue on yeah. a medium blue. And I think, um, yes, yeah, so, like I got really detailed with that one. Um, so some of the other ones I'm having to scale back and say, you know what, maybe for the fine art print, I can include all that detail, but it's not going to show up on the card. So, um, or maybe I just got to be okay with it being only for the people who look super, super closely. But I don't know. I like, I like adding a lot of detail to my work. It just creates this sense of discovery. Like you find new things in the card every time you look at it, it creates like more nostalgia and more excitement when you do that. So, um, I think adjusting to the small size, it's been a process and, Sometimes I feel like I did just the right amount of detail. Sometimes I feel like I could have put more or ha maybe have a little less. Um, but, you know, 20 cards, almost 20 cards in. So maybe uh, in my next series, I'll... Uh I'll have a little more experience with this. <laughs> yeah, you've been you've been nailing it. Somebody brought up a great question, kind of in release to that. Eddie on YouTube is saying, um, "How you have such a unique style? All your cards match, and when you look at them, well, they're all different. They they all do have that. Like some cards and different players have gone to, or different artists have gone different lengths. You kind of all lined yours differently. And he's asking, what are you going to do differently on your final card as we are approaching the end of Project 2020? Hmm." Well, I haven't finished it yet, so I can't say exactly what it's going to look like. My final card is going to be Frank Thomas, but uh, I don't know what I'm going to do differently. I think I should put some kind of nod to the project in general. If you look at the Mattingly card that's on Top's website right now, that one's going to be my foil card. So I'm not saving the foil for the last card. That's like a 1 in 20 chance to get the foil version. Um, and I did put a little nod like in the bottom of that card. It says P2020. So I feel like that's my, that's my big hurrah. It's my last Yankee card. So I think, uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do for Frank Thomas. I, I consider like the Mattingly to be my last big card for me personally. That's sick. Yeah. great way to put it. People are, are commenting, Zach's commenting out there that how you're, he said you're amazing with the Easter eggs in there. Is there any real like ill thing that you've done in this series so far that um, really stood out amongst all the cards? I know you just pointed out Jeter, so I'm going to assume it's that because that's your favorite player. But beyond that, is there any other examples of you have that might have gone over people's heads? Like if you look at Cal Ripken, and we, I, I hinted at the eight, people can obviously see that. Um, you have so many different intricacies and Easter eggs. What is, yeah. uh, what are a couple other examples from the tops project 2020 series that, um, we should call out to make people aware of. Okay. So there's a bunch of these. And first of all, thank you guys for, for just being down to look at my cards and enjoy like all the details. I put a lot of time into them and I just hope that everybody who buys it, like actually spends time looking at them and enjoying all those little things. I think, um, in, in the third card, which was Nolan Ryan, this was when I started to take the Easter eggs more seriously, putting in the, the Ryan Express like as an actual train. Um, and then after that, Ted Williams with the, the fighter jet. 
Um, the fifth card was Tony Gwynn. And I think this is the one where I included the most, uh, the most subtle Easter eggs. And if you look at the bottom uh, corner here, sorry, this one, you can see the border. It looks like it has like some dots and dashes. That is actually Morse code. So I'm not going to tell you what it says, but if you have the card and you look closely at it and then you go translate it in Morse code, it's a, it's a Tony Gwynn reference that I like translated into Morse code. Tony Gwynn doesn't, you know, there's nothing having to do with Morse code that is specifically about Tony Gwynn, but this is a message that I included in the card that probably barely anybody caught. That is insane. Has, have people called that one out yet? Have you seen anybody answer it correctly yet? A, a couple people thought it. You? The hardcore, you know, the hardcore fans of each player, they want to know everything about the card. So I'll tell them every Easter egg, except for maybe one or two, but they've all gotten that one already. Um, and then if I had to get one more, I think it's George Brett, just because the pine tar incident made it onto the card there. And I love that, that uh, silly, angry George Brett image. <laughs> It's amazing. I love it right there, right? And third base, yeah, and the, the jump out, it's crazy. Um, what did you first think when you got the call that you were going to be remixing some of the most iconic cards of all time? What was your, your thought process? Because again, a lot of brands wouldn't let people touch something. And especially when you're dealing with like pro sports and licenses and players, as, as you've done your work with some of those worlds, it's not always the easiest to, to move and do what you want. There's so many restrictions. What were your thoughts when you, when you jumped in and got the call to do this series? Well, I was definitely immediately down for it. <laughs> I wasn't uh, doubting that I was going to not do the project or anything. I think I was just really excited. I, I wanted to know immediately who are the other artists, who are the players we're going to do. Uh, I had so many questions and I just, I couldn't believe it really. Like I, I, I used to collect cards as a kid and getting to remix them has just come full circle. So I don't know. I, I did, it didn't feel real at first. And then after I saw some of the other artists that were on the lineup, I was like, whoa, that's, that's amazing that my work's going to be next to these artists, you know? Um, and then getting to, to touch these cards and, and put my spin on it. I, I already started, I, I don't know about if you get this too with your projects, but as soon as you hear about a new project, you already start like creating the thing in your head. You're like, what's the car going to look like? And I, so I started designing it already in my head, even though I didn't know what players we were going to do. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, man. You got you got to do it. I want to talk, take it back to your story. You have an interesting story sure. about how you got your name. It's similar to how I got mine. But uh, for those that don't know, why uh, why F dot? What does that represent? So my last name is pretty long and hard to spell. My last name is Friedenson. My name is Eric Friedenson. Uh, so when I was a kid, everybody would mispronounce it. So they just shortened it to like Eric F. And there was another Eric as well in the class. So there was Eric F and Eric S. I like to think that he was my arch nemesis. Eric S or S dot, but uh, basically it's just Eric F and then a period. So then F dot is what it became. You know how you say like mm -hmm. DJ S or whatever. Yeah, I can tell that my name. My, my name is Scott Keeney. So I was looking at my homework and it said S dot K E E and then the rest of my last name. And I was like, oh, I'll just take that portion of it. So interesting. It seems Makes everybody's sense. like, oh, it's so abstract. How do you get it? You're like, that's just part of my real name, right? The funny part about F dot is if I tell you, hey, my name's F dot. It's like, how do you spell that? Is it just F? And then a dot, like I'm not easily Googleable. If you just hear me on a podcast or something, you kind of know have to know how to spell it, which makes me a little bit harder to find, but I'm not mad about it. I think uh, originally it was just F-D-O-T, but then I found out that that is actually the Florida Department of Transportation. <laughs> so I, have this, I can't be competing. Not, not that the same look, and, and they probably wouldn't license it to you. No. So F dot is what it became with the E. Makes sense. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. And um, we got a great question coming in. Uh, Edward wants to know, when did you decide you were going to put the mask on the dock card? So I love it. One of my favorite cards, especially it's such a telling time of 2020, right? Like wearing, uh, you know, a surgical mask over his face. And of course you gave him like the clean green little wave mask and those things. Um, when did you, what made you, or when did you decide you were going to put that on him? Cause I thought it was so well. And this is card 137 in the set. So it was, it was a little ways into this, into the project. Yeah. Actually, if you look really closely on the mask, you'll see Shea stadium on the Dude, bottom. I of never mask. even noticed that. Like I've been sitting at this card. The details in here that you do are just ridiculous. That's why everybody needs to get these bigger prints because they, they can stand <laughs> out more. And you could actually notice all these crazy little details. I thought it was some of the shading. So if you look at that, at the bottom underneath where it says Met, sorry, it's a little blurry. We're on the webcam, so we don't have the isolated thing. But right there whoops, is actually Shea Stadium. That's phenomenal. Yeah, so the idea came pretty early on in the set, actually. I, I learned about his nickname, Dr. K, and I just felt like it was a perfect fit. My, my Doc Gooden was supposed to actually be earlier in the set, uh, before Tony Gwynn, and then it got moved. So I, I just kept the idea, and I was sort of like thinking about how I wanted to portray it and like putting a little stethoscope on the side just to like make it feel even more. And then the Unisphere from uh, outside Chase Stadium as like the head of the stethoscope. It kind of like wraps around his neck. Um, it's, it's a little hard to see that, but I kind of like that. Maybe you don't notice it right away. That's, that's the fun with all these cars is there's like multiple levels of discovery with them. And you know what's so cool? I think yeah. um, I'd love to hear your experience on how people have discovered you because of this series, right? Like I remember, um, I think you were the, were you the first to do a signed um, auction raffle on eBay? I know you did that charity thing for, I believe the Red Cross, right? Yeah, uh, I don't know if I was the first one to do a charity auction or anything, but um, my growth with my audience this year has been awesome. So many people that are just so passionate. I mean, I, I don't care as much about how many people are following me. I care about the passion and how interested and how much they actually care about what I'm doing. Do they believe in my mission and my vision for my art? And does it resonate with them deeply? You know, I'd rather have 100 followers who love what I'm doing than 10,000 followers who don't don't give a damn. So um, I think just the passion that I've, that I've found, like those who are really drawn to my cards, they just keep asking me questions. They want, you know, they, they like that I'm accessible as well. I think I'm one of the more accessible artists in the project and I want to keep that up and just treat people like, you know, they're, they're equal. Like I'm, I'm just cause I'm an artist in this project doesn't mean I can't have a regular conversation and like have a beer. I'm also not perfect either. You know, like I don't like when artists put themselves on a pedestal and like, we are not worthy. Like everybody's worthy to have a conversation with me, man. Like people are saying that Eddie's like, I appreciate his accessibility on Twitter and I've seen you respond and, and you're so, so responsive on Instagram and these other places. It's, it's, it's really great to see. And it's fun. Like we're, like you said, we're all same people at the end of the day and we're all in this kind of hobby together, having, having fun with it. It's definitely tough. I think when you start to grow to be like as, as, uh, as popular as you are, that you can't get back to everybody in a day, right? At some point you got to turn it off or you got to like ask somebody to help you out. Hey, could you respond to these comments with me? But I, I don't know right, right now I'm keeping it. Uh, I'm able to respond to everybody and I'm going to use that. I'm going to continue to respond to everybody because I can. And one day maybe I won't have enough time to respond to everybody. But, uh, you know, if you're like throwing positivity my way, like I'm going to throw it back. So why not? That's dope. And you can still, yeah. even if you can't respond to everybody, I think just showing that the initiative to do it with some are, are great now. Yeah. We've got a ton of questions coming in. I, I love it. Um, Jizza73 wants to know, who's your favorite skater? Mm, that's a tough one, man. I think my, uh, my favorite skater is Luan Oliveira. 
from Brazil. He's pretty big these days. Um, he just has a crazy pop. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Um, let's see. Where did the inspiration come from creating the Jackie Robinson card? The people are loving that broken bat you have with it. Well, Jackie was uh, known for breaking barriers, right? The first black baseball player in the major leagues. So I felt like it was necessary to just draw uh, attention to that. And then, I don't know, this was right around when the Black Lives Matter protests started happening. And so it was uh, an opportunity for me to speak to that a little bit. Um, in the top corner there, you can see the, the justice sticker. Jackie was uh, in the civil rights movement. I just tried to encapsulate what Jackie was all about. And that's what I'm trying to do with a lot of these cards. Some of them I'm keeping a little more simple, but when I have the opportunity, and, and especially if the player had like a larger than life personality off the field, I'll try to work in some of that into the card. You can see in the corner here, there's a bunch of other sports that Jackie was known for. Um, the Kansas City Monarchs, I, I found a way to work that into his name. So the KC, even though this is a Brooklyn Dodgers card, um, paying tribute to the Negro Leagues where he came from, Ebbets Fields inside, just all the little research bits that I was able to find on Jackie Robinson. I watched the documentary. Um, I think my favorite part is the quote that kind of wraps around this circle here. Life is not a spectator sport. And I felt like that was super relevant, especially when the card came out. Super, super ill. How long yeah. does it take you to, to prep and to, for the process of doing a card? And let's include not only the, the time making the art, but the time doing the research. Like you're, you're, not, you're finding real, not just the high level facts, but more obscure things. You're, you're watching movies, films, and then going and putting together the art. What's, what's the process and timeline like on you from the concept, from like your first like, all right, I'm going to do Jackie Robinson to the time you submit the art? I think it depends on the player. Uh, sometimes I have more of a straightforward approach or, or like I already know what I want to do. I think with Doc Gooden, it was pretty quick because I had that idea early on and I'm kind of designing in my head before I even know. Like I knew I was going to put the home run apple in the background. So I think uh, it just depends on the player. Overall, I'd say it takes me two to five days, you know, uh, a few hours a day to finish it. And um I actually have a collector group that I've been sharing my process with like all year long. Um, just all the fans who are collecting my set. Uh, I started a little Patreon page yeah, where so they can give uh, input on my cards like before I finish them. And some of the Easter eggs on my cards actually were crowdsourced from the collectors. That's so I'm not sure if I'll, do, I'll keep doing that forever because obviously my art is my art. It's not... It's, it's my practice. And if I want to keep it personal, I can keep it personal. Letting people into that and saying, like, what do you think should be in my art is a risk, you know, because yeah. <laughs> you never know what they're going to say. And then yeah. if, if you don't end up taking their ideas, sometimes people are like, come on, please, please put it on the card. And I'm just like, I don't know. But some of the ideas I've been getting from these collectors are incredible. And I'll mix them with my ideas. And then the fusion of that, I think, is part of why the set has been so successful. Um, and I also wanted to say that part of the reason that they're so consistent is because one, they're all vertical. I took all the horizontal cards, cut out the horizontal cards. Sorry, guys, turning them vertical. And then uh, the borders, I think the borders was just an element that I decided early on that was like, every card's gonna have a dotted border in a color that matches the rest of the card. And I think that just helps to tie it all together. Yeah, that's one of the first things I add when I'm like starting the card, just to like set the tone and see how the composition's working. Yeah, no, it's, it's super ill, man. It's, it's so great. And, you know, getting back to, to your designs and stuff, one, one really cool thing is, is your motto and one of your slogans is the, the optimist. And there's kind of a crazy, you know, story that you have behind that, right? Um, what made you become, because I'm a big believer in like, look, it's always 
life is the way you look at things, right? You can look at it two ways. So it never hurts to be optimistic. Somebody told me once, what's, what's the story behind the optimist slogan for you? I'm not going to share the full story because it's a, it's a long one, but basically uh, it's a, there's a video on my website. So f.studio.com. If you want to know the full story, uh, there's a little video there called fireproof optimists, but basically there was a fire at my apartment. I lost everything that I owned in a fire and I was home as well. And I almost got taken with the fire cause it was early in the morning. I don't usually wake up super early and uh, it was a, the scariest day of my life. And going back into the apartment, trying to find whatever was salvageable, one of the things I found was a drawing that I did earlier that week, and it said Optimist. And it was like this crazy sign from my past self to my present self. And I was taken out of that moment of craziness and brought back to like, wow, I actually am an optimist. I can get through anything like this. You know, this is going to be okay. I'm healthy. You know, I have what I need. It's, it's just stuff. If I lose all my stuff, it's okay. It's replaceable. And so... From that moment, I was like, I need to share this story. I need to share this message and keep making optimistic art. And, and I think that's just like what became my mission from then on. And I haven't really stopped. I, I mean, I definitely look back on the journey a lot and, and reflect. And I'm super grateful about how uh, that moment changed everything for me. And one of the things I love was I was able to work in the optimist into the Griffey card. Um, so this actually came out the day after the election day. And I felt like the world just needed a little more optimism, not to bring politics into this, but, you know, a a lot of divisiveness, a a lot of hate going around. So I'm like, how do I bring optimism into this design? So a little, a little subtle message from my past is in there. (laughs) Phenomenal. I I love it, man. What's so interesting too, is the, you know, project 2020 has been polarizing to some people. I think it's been so great overall for the hobby, but there's a lot of, you know, people that are just like, how can you touch a card and recreate that? And, you know, and so for that, it's so, so interesting to see all these different parallels, uh, and, and the way that the reactions are, but there's been so many positive reactions to it too. Um, what's been the, the coolest thing that somebody said to you or DM'd you or messaged you or, or that you've seen in, in terms of project 2020? The craziest thing that people have messaged me, um, yeah. I think just seeing how the kids, like the collectors will buy the cars, they'll share it with their kids and they'll bond over that or they'll share it with their dad and their dad is like older and they'll be able to take them back because it's a, it's a player that they used to watch. So seeing the bonds between father, son or, um, you know, mother, son or whatever it is, father, daughter, like the connections across generations, I think has been most exciting for me. Super sick. Because the cards are approachable, like they feel playful but they don't feel like a kid's toy either. It's like something that kids can enjoy, adults can enjoy, and respect. They can both respect it. Yeah, man, this is super sick. Yeah. Um, let's go through some of these other questions too. Uh, let's see. Whew, so many great questions. Um, are there any cards that were hand done? Yeah. So I always do some sketches on paper, like you can see with the with the stadium cards that like I made these canvases before doing anything digital. I like to just get my ideas out analog because I think I come up with better stuff. Also digital work, it's like the iPad isn't really a tool for experimentation and brainstorming for me. Like if you were to make a list, doesn't it feel much better to write it on paper? Yeah. Or, or like this, like a quick thumbnail sketch and then you make mistakes and they kind of like, you know, the paint bleeds by accident. <laughs> and, then, and then you're like, whoa, like what if I combine those two ideas? So I think uh, I always start analog, but I always seem to want to finish it digitally because I have more control. I have more colors, more textures that it would just take way, way longer 
to create them analog and I wouldn't be happy with the results. So, and you know, since I have to make 20 of these across the year, I got to speed up my process. Yeah, so right. There's always an analog component, but there's always uh, finishing it off digitally. And even some of the artists, you'd be surprised, like some of the coloring on JK fives cards, like I have a feeling some of that was done digitally. Like the, the art was done black and white. So just because I think, I think it's super common now for artists to have an analog and digital practice they're both considered art. I don't know why some people don't see iPad art as the same. I think it's just because it's a new tool. I mean, when the, mark, when the marker was invented, people were like, what's this marker? You know, like you got to use the dip pen, the pen and ink. And the marker was like cheating. But now markers are like, so get, the, get with the times, man. Get digital. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. It's great. Um, Carlos Barger, a good question. We know you're doing that uh, Don Mattingly next, right? And that's going to be your foil card. How difficult was it for you to set, select Don as your foil selection? He wants to know. Super easy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no problem. Like it took yeah. any time at all. I guess I, I thought about doing Kofax because there's going to be some Brooklyn shout outs in that card. Um, I'm, I'm living in Brooklyn now and it's cool to be like close to Ebbets Field, right? So close to where Ebbets Field was and I don't know, like I think I was between Mattingly and Kofax, but I grew up watching Mattingly play. So it was a no brainer for me. Super sick, man. Super sick. Um, great, great comment here. So they said, your good is great. And I learned a lot about Ricky. We're talking about Ricky Henderson. His style and swagger after picking up your card with him, holding the record stolen base in the air, which is so cool. So many people are learning so many things about these players, even me, right? Like realizing that like, and, or even remembering certain details like, oh yeah, SDSU, Tony Gwynn went like he's a San Diego kid. Like a lot of those things, this brings you back and teaches you new things. Even for people that are big baseball fans or big into the hobby, it, it works all those ways. Uh, it's, it's so, so cool to see, man. Yeah. I think about also where these cards are going to live on in the future. And so SDSU has a ballpark uh, and a stadium named after Tony Gwynn. So just the idea of thinking that this card might end up at SDSU and then to be able to say, there's actually a shout out to SDSU on the card, yeah. you know? So I, I don't know. I think about where these are going to live in the future. I obviously can't predict the future, but I hope that people appreciate it. And I hope that they go far and wide, especially the prints. It'll be cool to see the stadium cards at the actual stadiums, right? So with Ricky, I learned a lot as well uh, through this one. I just thought that that was such a cool moment where he ripped the base out of the ground, held it up above his head. Ricky looking like Rocky in this photo a little bit. Um, and then combining, actually the funny part about this is he's running to the opposite direction. So yeah. you typically, you'd run from, uh, right, from right to left when you're going around the baseball field. This one looks like he's, it's like a pickoff attempt. He's going back to the base. So that was something that it stirred up a little bit of conversation amongst the, uh, the purists, but I don't know. This is, this is one of my favorite ones because it almost feels like a big movie poster or a magazine cover. It really does. Yeah. So well, Ricky, and all these players too had so much swag, and and it crosses so many generations. I mean, we're going back to Bob Gibson and in, in, in young days to to the current days, like like Mike Trout. Have you approached like the the players that are um, some of the older generations that you might not have ever seen and had to do more research on versus you know the Mike Trout's who are still playing today and in his prime? Is there a different approach to to how you uh, make the art for those cards? It's not a super different approach. Uh, it's just a different excitement i think because with the trout card i don't think i showed this one on the stream yet but with the trout card i know that this card is going to feel and mean something a little bit different in 10 years from now when trout has had 10 more years of playing so it's an epic player epic original card from 2011 and so i think in uh, 2030 
will, this card will be even more meaningful and his, his stats will be crazy, right? Like he's supposedly one of the greatest of all time, but we haven't really seen his final stats yet. Yeah. So it's interesting thing. So many different things to it. It's funny. I'm um, going back to the Ricky Henderson card. A lot of people are saying everybody thought he was stealing home. See, people didn't even realize he was going back to first. Everybody's, you know, there's a few comments saying it always looked like third to home base. So you can interpret it, how, interpret it however you want. Also depends on where the photographer was standing. Yeah. A lot of my drawings are based on photos, like the Mariana Rivera and the Ricky. Like there's a lot of drawings. This is a, a hand-drawn uh, version of a photo. And so it just depends on where the photographer was standing, I guess, too, to know what's exactly happening but it's cool that somebody caught that. Like he's running the wrong way, you know. Like I, I didn't actually even realize it. I just thought it looked looked best with the composition of the card. It's that photo, yeah. It's, it's phenomenal. Now, um, see, another person talked about this, and I meant to ask you about this earlier, but you're you're known for these blob style characters. And Eddie's saying he loved the blob and the Mattingly. How did you come up with using the blob throughout your art? Because that's been something consistent across before even Project Twenty Twenty. Um, a lot, a lot of the murals and other projects you've been doing. Sure. Yeah. The backstory for my blob character is pretty simple. It was just like, I, I started my career doing hand lettering and that was my jam. I called myself a lettering artist. I wanted to be known for something. So I stuck to that niche. And I think a lot of my letters had blobby uh, qualities to them. Like there wasn't a lot of negative space between the letters. They were kind of squishy and round and organic. And then after a while, I started wanting to create art that couldn't really be summed up in words. Like I wanted to communicate feelings and abstract thoughts th through things. I, I couldn't have used lettering for it. So I needed to create some kind of vehicle to express this. Some artists just go fully abstract and I've done a lot of fully abstract artwork too, but having some kind of character in there helps people relate to it, helps me relate to it. And I think at, also at the time I needed, I needed a friend. This was like when I was in Argentina and I, I didn't know anybody besides like a few coworkers. And so I needed a friend in my life and I ended up inventing the blob character on a pretty like difficult day. I just sketched it in my sketchbook. It was like curled up into a ball. Um, and I just sent it around to some friends and they're like, I think you got something here. <laughs> and my, and my boss at WeWork as well was like, we should make a mural with this artwork That's eventually. Dear. And so they really helped me uh, get it onto bigger surfaces and they, you know, sometimes as an artist, like you want to keep going down one path, but if that's, not what the market wants or what what uh, your clients want, then you got to keep it for personal use. But it's cool that the blob character was like a personal project that began, became something that I could use for my commercial stuff. I assume you are collecting your own set, but are you collecting any other artists or players in the Project 2020 series? I'm just buying cards that I like. Uh, ideally, it would be cool to have one uh, card for each player, like from random assortment of artists. So my favorite, Gwyn, my favorite, Nolan Ryan. Um, but I haven't been collecting very consciously. I think I'm going to have to fill some holes <laughs> in the end of the year or next year. Uh, it's going to be cool to see what happens with the project next year and how we look back on this for sure. I'm trying to, I'm probably going to, so one thing that is cool is I developed my own uh, display case for my cards. And I have a couple of them. Uh, here's one of the, the cases. It's a wood case. I got it made by this this amazing uh, oh, craftsman. Oh, damn. That's crazy. And it's got my logo in there. Dude, that's ill. Can people how, – how do people get that? That's super sick. It's just a great way to display them. Yeah, so I am only able to make them in really limited quantities because I'm working with someone who's literally doing it in his backyard. <laughs> and I wanted his quality. So uh, the first people that are going to get 
to be able to pre-order these next week are in my Patreon page. So patreon.com slash F dot. Uh, it's just $5 on there and you get to see my whole process and get first dibs on all my drops like this. Uh, I'm, I'm only going to be able to make 20 of them by the end of the year and then 20 more in January. And then if there's more interest past that, we'll keep making them, but they're going to be pretty limited. And I'm going to do some hand embellishing on some of them, like on the sides of the, of the, of the case. Cause it's like a nice one inch thick slab of wood. Dwayne says, who's your favorite artist of the project? We kind of talked about that and, and your favorite card so far. It's too tough to, to choose one. And what's so dope too is seeing you collab with other artists in this series too and work on other other projects. It's it's really ill to see kind of this how this community has been formed, right? And all the connections that have been made because of, you know, baseball cards. Yeah. The only other artist that I've been able to collaborate with in person this year um, for the Project 2020 cards was was Blake Jameson. Uh, his studio is pretty close by and I was just able to drop by. We made this uh, Babe Ruth design. We called it Blob Ruth. And it's been really cool getting to chat up with him and just, you know, follow each other through the project. I think out of all the artists, I've, I've gotten to know him the most, but I hope that I can meet some of these other people pretty soon. Yeah, no, super, super sick. Uh, let's take it to another question before we are almost out of time. Damn, this flies by so quick. Um, Good question right here, just from Top. So Heather wants to know, would you do a Star Wars series of cards if Tops wanted you to do that? Hell yeah, I would do a Star Wars series. <laughs> what would you do? So if you, if you yeah. had a Star Wars series with Tops, um, what would you, and say, what character would you be most excited to do? And how? what would you flip them first response without thinking too deep? If you had like Yoda, a Project Yoda, style thing. Yoda blob. Yoda blob. <laughs> that would be, I mean, Yoda kind of is, that would be so ill. You've just got to do it. Let's make it come to life. Tops. Let's make that happen. Yeah, they have a Star Wars license, right? I hope I hope it can happen. Yeah, we'll see. Project Twenty Twenty and the, the Tar Wars, Star Wars. Uh, I, I got my I, I got my hands full with these stadium cards. I, <laughs> I don't have any confirmation yet, but I think there's going to be at least five more. Um, wow. We've been talking about it, um, but nothing confirmed yet. It just makes sense because the popularity has been good this week so far, and I haven't seen the print runs yet. But I think if they're decent, Tops is going to want to do more of these stadium cards, and then I got. A lot of other projects coming up, so we'll see how much time I have next year for Star Wars. <laughs> they're all they're all super cool. We're gonna do one more question from Edward, who speaking of that said, Did any of your print runs surprise you? Um I would love to hear this because you got to witness it and watch it grow. You had some of the early big runs, and then we saw kind of the the run up in the summer and the prime height of this. Um, did anything surprise you? Was definitely blown away by the Tony Gwynn print run. That was right at the height of the project. Didn't expect that many people to buy the card. And that was, you know, that's going to be my highest printed card. Um, it was like around 35,000. Wild. And we I still think, couldn't figure out the Morse code in time. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think, uh, the McGuire actually, the first one, you know, I had no idea. People had no idea how popular this project was going to be. Yeah. That's why everybody slept on, slept on these first few cards. Like I only bought five of this card. <laughs> Crazy, and dude. yeah. So, I think I was surprised to see like, wow, this print run was around 1400, I think. Yeah. And I, I thought that was really high because I, I didn't really know what a high print run or a low print run card is back then. Yeah. And you're used um, to like art prints, right? Where it's very, very limited. Yeah. I mean, I collected cards, but I, I, when I was a kid, I didn't really focus so much on the print runs. It was more just the art on the card. And um, yeah, I think I was just like, wow, there's 1400 people that wanted this card or at least 1400 copies of the card that went out to people who ordered it. And I was stoked. Like that was probably the most surprising one. 
FDOT, thank you so much for taking the time out. I know you've got multiple cards to do, and these aren't, aren't a quick process for you. So it was, it was an honor to connect with you and uh, go through and hear not only this incredible um, journey of Tops Project 2020, but a little about your story and, and how you got started. Is That's really what's always been so intriguing to me and, and hearing your come-ups and uh, how you approach life. It's so, so, so inspirational. So thank you so much. Thank you, man. Thank you for all the, the good questions, spending time with me. I'm excited to finish out this series strong and let's see what's next. Um, yeah, thank you, everybody. Appreciate it, Ski. Super sick, of course. Um, thank you guys for all the great questions, for rocking with us. And again, one more time, F. Dot, thank you again. We will see you guys all next time. And two cards left. The, the last two are, are Frank Thomas and Sandy Koufax. That's right, Thomas and Koufax. Yeah. Make sure you grab those last oh, yeah. chance and go buy one of those prints. I'm going to go try to buy a maze one right now, so I'm going to sign off. Hell yeah, man. All right, good night. Y'all be good. Everybody. For more information on the sports card trading market, head to skisportscards.com.